It was not a promising beginning. Joseph comes home from a job site exhausted. He tries to work a splinter out of his hand, but it's lodged there, stubborn. He's been working away on a building project in the nearby city of Sepphoris, sleeping overnight there, putting in long, long days. He sighs as he lays down his tools. It's been more than three whole months since he was home in Nazareth. And so he decides to walk over to Mary's house. Mary, the woman he is engaged to, the woman his father and her father agreed he would marry, her future has been bound up with his ever since their fathers signed that dotted line. It will be a few months yet before Joseph and Mary can live together, not until after the wedding feast, with family and friends surrounding them, marking an end to the engagement and anticipating the new family the couple will soon be starting. Ah, how Joseph longs for that wedding day and the day some nine or so months after that when he will hold his firstborn child in his arms. As he ducks through Mary's doorway, his heart racing with excitement for all that the future holds, he sees her seated, one hand on her aching back, another on her swelling abdomen. And she gasps when she sees him, her eyes welling up with tears, brimming over with the good news she fears he will think too good to be true. Mary, what? The words get stuck in his throat. According to the Gospel of James, a second-century account of Jesus' birth that didn't make the cut to be included in our New Testament, Joseph's reaction is just as dramatic as we might expect. His vision blurs in anger, and he strikes his face in desperation. He falls onto the ground and cries bitterly. How could he have let this happen? How could he have left Mary for more than three, almost four months? Surely she was vulnerable to the predations of some scoundrel of a man, and now she's pregnant with this other man's child. Joseph. Joseph. With effort, Mary leans down and shares the good news that has been swirling inside her. It's, it's from God, this child inside me. I, I didn't betray you. An angel appeared to me and said, I was to conceive by the Spirit of the Most High. I know how that sounds, but I said, yes, I'm here. Let it be with me according to your word. I knew no man, and yet here I am pregnant with the Son of God. Mary, please, please, you're just making it worse with this idle tale. How could you, Mary? I, I just need to be alone. I, I can't believe this. I need to think this through. And with that, Joseph rises and scrambles out of the house and into the night, his heart aching, his mind spinning, his soul crying out in agony to God, how could she have betrayed me? How could she have betrayed you, O God, when I have been nothing but obedient to you? 
Your laws are like food to me. I rely on you for everything. Save me. Save us. It was not a promising beginning. This revelation that Mary was with child. As he broods over this startling news, Joseph blames Mary. He blames God. He blames himself for this whole shameful, unlawful affair. For Joseph is a righteous man, honest and hardworking and fair. All he wants is a normal, straightforward, uncomplicated life. What could he possibly have done to deserve all this mess? As we near Christmas, now just a few days away, we read today's gospel passage and we pause to reflect on the role of Joseph in the story of Jesus' birth. Here we have a birth story, but it's so totally unlike the birth story we are accustomed to hearing at Christmas time. You know, the one with stars and shepherds and heavenly hosts singing Gloria. And the holy family gathered around the baby Jesus asleep on the hay, all tender and mild. This story, the story of Joseph's encounter with an impossible truth, is more murky than merry, more contentious than contented, more jaded than jolly. Positive thoughts of paternity are what got Joseph through the long work weeks in that city far from home. Joseph is the kind of guy to make a list and check it twice. He's a careful, by-the-book sort of guy, not to mention a stand-up citizen, a righteous man. And then out of nowhere, he gets hammered with this tall tale that his soon-to-be spouse got pregnant by the Holy Spirit. He all his dreams, right, of carrying on his ancestral line of fathering his firstborn, shattered, splintering into a million pieces. Granted, I do think that Joseph's particular situation is unique and probably a little tough to relate to in the specifics. But you know that feeling? The hard work, the feeling that you get when all your hard work, all your perfect preparation, all your expected dreaming gets completely upended by a loss, a disappointment, a seeming betrayal. The holidays are ripe for such difficult and derailing sorts of dilemmas. After all, this is the time of year when we are all so easily caught up in a collective consumerist fantasy that demands that we remain optimistic, happy, polished, and having a merry old time. This insistence that we be full of cheer at this time of year is rooted in an alluring lie that it's so easy to buy into. The lie that if we just work hard enough, prepare perfectly enough, and think positively enough, our holidays and our families and our lives and even our world will be free of trouble and full of goodness. And when, 
Like Joseph, we encounter news that does not align with our holly jolly hopes. We have a choice to make. Do we make a scene? Do we get vengeful and spite those who have foiled our fantasy? Joseph probably does consider that option here. After all, he would be within his rights as the man in the engagement to expose Mary as an adulteress. He can choose to subject her to public shaming and a trial that, in all likelihood, would have led to death by stoning. Maybe we've known moments of explosive holiday fireworks that end with someone's name getting dragged through the mud. Acts of aggression followed by feelings of regret. More often, I think, we, like Joseph, take the second option. Instead of lashing out in response to our pain and resentment, we simply dismiss it quietly. We bury our distress under mounds of presence. We drown it with too much to drink. We let it seep out in passive-aggressive swipes at the people around us. Meanwhile, we try to just move on, putting on a happy face, hoping the pain will recede, much like Joseph resolves to dismiss Mary quietly, hoping this will all just go away. The trouble there is that Mary would still bear the shame of this pregnancy out of wedlock. She would be cut off from family, losing all her standing in the community, and likely would have to turn to begging or sex work just to survive. And surviving, it turns out, is about all we can manage when we dismiss quietly the mess that's in our lives. It was not a promising beginning. This story of a mysterious child stirring in Mary's womb. Or was it? The good news, friends, is that God promises to come right into the mess of our lives and be with us here. Jesus, born of an unmarried peasant girl engaged to an insignificant carpenter in a poor backwater colony of the Roman Empire, Jesus... He puts the mess in Messiah. Don't be afraid. The angel proclaims to Joseph in his dreams that night, Believe Mary, she is telling the truth. And that salvation you are crying out for, it will come to you. And it will come through the very son that Mary bears you. You are to name him Jesus, Yeshua, which means God saves, for he will deliver his people from all that separates them from God and from one another and from themselves. If all we got were a heavenly voice telling us to do the hard thing, to linger in our pain, to lean into the reality of our brokenness, it would be really hard not to be afraid. Who wants to wallow in sorrow? But the good news is that God doesn't just call Joseph to take Mary as his wife, to adopt Jesus as his own son. God doesn't just demand that we do the hard thing. 
God at the same time comes in to human flesh as a helpless newborn to experience our lives from the inside, to know our pains, our tragedies, our doubts, our fears as God's own. To help us understand this promise of God's incarnation, Matthew invokes an old Isaiah prophecy about a child born in wartime and named Emmanuel. That name means God is with us. Close, hmm, close as the heart beating in our chests. Close as the divine heart thumping in that newborn child asleep on the hay. Born in a barn amid the dung and the stench and the cold. The one who would feed the 5,000 was at first unable to feed himself. The word made flesh was at first unable to speak. From that moment of infancy on, Emmanuel, God with us, is with us through it all. God is with us in the wilderness and the wastelands of our lives where nothing we do seems right and everything seems so very wrong. You know the things we think will save us? Hard work, helping others, money, esteem, success, control. God is with us in the distress we feel when those things only make us more miserable. God is with us when we are wronged and wounded and disappointed disappointed and raging inside. God is with us when we face shame, controversy, the loss of our good name, because we insist on aligning ourselves with those people the world deems dangerous, disreputable, and disgusting. Surely that is the risk that Joseph faces when he decides to marry Mary after all, that he would be looked down on and reviled. Yet he trusts, and he remains with her, just as God remains with him. God is with us, in other words, just even when, like Joseph, we embrace the mess of our lives. God is with us when we cradle those painful parts of ourselves we'd rather disavow, our anxiety, our shame, our anger. God is with us when we accept those parts rather than dismissing them quietly. God is with us when we are curious about those hard feelings, the not-so-fun feelings. When we cradle them, look them in the eye, listen to them, learn from them, and then hush them to sleep. As we learn to cherish our hurts and our heartbreaks, rather than disowning them, we ourselves become bearers of God. We raise up and reflect the image of God in one another, blessed and broken and beloved. We open our arms to nurture the holy vulnerability that allows us to be known, really known, and seen, really seen by others. In time, we watch as the messy Messiah
toddles between us, wooing us to care for him, for each other, for ourselves, for the stranger, for all creation. And so, friends, here on the cusp of Christmas, may we trust God's promise to be with us, to ache with us, grieve with us, fear with us, yearn with us. May this trust give us the courage to look long and hard at what is messy and broken in our lives and in our world. And may that courage embolden us to love the way Joseph loves. Facing his fears, reaching out to hold his promised Savior in shaking hands, embracing that child as his own, even at the cost of his own good name. Because the more we embrace our mess, the more we refuse to dismiss our suffering quietly, the more Christmas will dawn for us as a promising new beginning, joyful and triumphant. For God is with us, close as our heartbeat, now in flesh appearing.